Good morning, Bourbon Bay. This is Stephen, your host of Bourbon Bay Talks. And just joining you on this lovely morning here in bright, sunny uh, South Florida, or sorry, beautiful Tampa Bay. And finally getting some fall weather <laughs> now that we actually have fall coming. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk to you guys today. We're going to do a lovely little history episode, this about the Civil War. And joining me today, as always, guys, we have our lovely little Wilderness Trail bourbon. Uh, it's going to be the bourbon that we discussed today. This is the Bottled and Bond Higher Rye Bill. And so, yeah, this company kind of came around in about... 2006, um, the Shane family, and they were back in the 90s actually in a rock band and decided that really quickly that they were going to actually need to change the style or change business careers. And so they decided to start, um, you know, going into the roots and were moved to uh, the Danville, Kentucky and were basically started the Wilderness Trail Distillery in 2006, as I said earlier. And yeah, their family actually has a long career in the history-making business, kind of dating back to the 1940s, where uh, their grandmother, Doris Ballard, um, when she met her father, or her, sorry, when she met her husband, uh, Herbert Ballard, and they were actually starting to make whiskey for the Stitzer Weller Distillery uh, there in, our, in Kentucky and worked there for about 50 years. So they do have a long history of distilling in their family. And yeah, and basically, I've heard a lot of great stuff about it and was able to pick up a bottle over at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. And decided to, you know what, I'm going to try it myself, as we always like to do on the show. <clears throat> so we're going to definitely take it. Again, this was the... Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry about my voice. Went to the Lightning game last night. First regular season game for me. So it's a little raspy. <laughs> Go Bolts. Uh, yeah, so this one happens to be, like I said, for its mash bill, it's about 69% corn. It's about 24% rye and 12% malted barley uh, is what it is. And, of course, it does follow the Bottled and Bond Act. Uh, so, again, that was distilled by a single distiller in a single season and was distilled or bottled or, sorry, was put into a bonded warehouse and aged for at least four years. I believe they aged theirs for about seven, and it has to be bottled at least at 100 proof. So it does follow all the um, or the laws that re are required for it to be called bottled and bond. So, and usually I always have some good experience with bottled and bond bourbons. Uh, so we're going to definitely give it a smell and nose it. Yeah, right off the way, you definitely get some nice um, butterscotch. And then you get, of course, uh, some nice, almost a little bit of marshmallow. Of course, like with the higher rise, I get a little bit more marshmallow in it. <clears throat> and 
yeah so basically we definitely get more um and you kind of look at the color too you definitely see a nice amber which is typical of bottle and bonds very nice amber color so now we're going to do the taste Yeah, and you definitely get some nice orange notes right off the bat, a little almost lime. And for 100 proof, it's definitely very nice and smooth. Um, you almost kind of get a little bit of raisin in there, a little leather. So, yeah, overall, definitely a very good bourbon. Highly recommend it. You definitely get that spice from the rye. So if you wanted to, let's say, use it for old fashions, Manhattans, it would definitely be a nice bourbon for that. Even a nice little sidecar uh, because it's going to come through and it's not going to be hidden by a lot of the ingredients that you add into the cocktail. So it's definitely going to showcase well. And yeah, and that finish, get that little Kentucky hug. Uh, but yeah, and in that finish, you definitely get a little bit more of the spice. You get a little bit more cinnamon in there. So, yeah, definitely highly recommend this. Uh, you can go pick it up at ABC, uh, I think, and other local distillery or other retail stores. I know like Total Wine. And, of course, many of you are probably starting to find out now. Uh, definitely go pick it up now uh, because, yeah, we're not really sure what's going to happen supply-wise in the next couple months because, as everybody's probably seen by now, you see all the ships waiting out in the harbors. I know Florida is trying to take some of that ease, and um, DeSantis is trying to bring some of those cargo ships down to Florida ports and to help out with the supply chain issues that are caused. But basically, biggest thing to tell you, if you want to have your bourbon, you want to have your spirits for the holidays, for any parties that you guys might be throwing, definitely go get it now. Uh, because they might not be there come November or like, you know, after Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving. So, yeah, this is definitely the time to go get your spirits so you can have it ready for your holidays and for any parties that you guys might throw. So definitely say go do that. <laughs> but now kind of getting into our favorite part of the show with the history. And this time we're going to talk about the Civil War and how whiskey played a huge role. Uh, basically kind of starting out that the Civil War, like the rest of the country, tore the whiskey-making states apart. Uh, you have Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Maryland, which were the two or the three big ones. Uh, I mean, of course, Pennsylvania was slowly with the Union. No question that their loyalties lay with the North. But places like Kentucky and Maryland, they actually had slavery that was legal in their states, and they were on the border. And even though a lot of their politicians sided with the union and they did go towards uh, supporting the union and join the union, uh, many of its countrymen, many of the people that lived in the states actually sided with the Confederacy and states' rights. And, I mean, especially Kentucky, when, you know, in the 1700s, they were actually shipping a lot of their whiskey, a lot of their product down to the south and... That was their big buyer. That was their big market was the South. I had, you know, so many of them knew that they were, this is where their 
their loyalties lay. This is where they were selling most of their products. I mean, the Garvin brothers who were old Forester, uh, they joined the Confederacy. The Weller sons of W.L. Weller joined the Confederacy, and many other Kentucky distilleries also joined the Confederacy as well to fight for the, their rights, to fight for their, you know, their big market. And, you know, it's kind of the war uh, went on. And, I mean, whiskey started to play more and more of an important role because it was heavily used as an anesthetic uh, because back then there wasn't too many anesthetics. There wasn't, you know, like morphine. There wasn't, you know, oxy and things like that that you find today. Basically, the only things was quinine, and I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong, landamin. Uh, were the only two that were really kind of used besides whiskey. I mean, aspirin was invented in 1846, but it wasn't really used medicinally until about the end of the century, so well after the war. And so, yeah, I mean, basically this lovely little red liquor that we enjoy today uh, was used as an anesthetic and to also basically help to calm the fears and to help soldiers deal with the carnage that they saw on a daily basis on the battlefield fighting their own countrymen and in a lot of cases fighting their own brothers and fathers so this kind of helped what you could say helped soothe their soul uh and help them kind of forget about what they faced on a daily basis in the battle and also during this time abraham lincoln was forced to reintroduce the excise tax to help pay for the Union war effort. So kind of like what, what, or what they did for the Revolutionary War and what they did for the War of 1812, again, whiskey was used to kind of help pay for the, uh, the war effort and to help pay for the armed forces. So, you know, not only did it help to soothe people's souls, to help get them through a pretty tough experience in the battles, because many of these battles were very bloody, and, you know, people were use, losing arms and legs. Doctors were, you know, basically pouring this over wounds to clean out the wound. And then also were putting it down the soldiers' throats to basically kind of knock them out in a sense so that they could perform the seizures, which a lot of the time was just amputating the leg, amputating the arm. Uh, yeah, so that was basically battlefield medicine back then. And you definitely needed something strong to kind of help <laughs> soldiers deal with it. And, um, but yeah, and then, you know, kind of like I was talking about in the last video, we said that the temperance movement was starting to make a major play. But yeah, and then so there was still that major play with the temperance movement back in actually 1863. Uh, the Sons of Temperance went to the White House and John Hayes, one of Abraham Lincoln's secretaries, was recording it, and the T Sons of Temperance said that, of course, the Union was losing the battle, be or the war, because of its intemperance, that soldiers were just getting too drunk. And Hayes was like, that's not true, because the Southern Confederacy, they drink more whiskey than we do, and even worse whiskey. And yet, you know, <laughs> they're kind of winning at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, you had different perspectives 
kind of going on. And I mean, there was also that perspective too, is that, you know, Hey, the union had a lot more money, so they were able to buy more whiskey, but actually, you know, whilst the officers of the union could purchase their own whiskey, uh, the soldiers, the regular soldier had to rely on daily rations. And actually 30 years before the civil war, the U S army had stopped daily rations of whiskey, rum, any kind of alcohol. But yet you still had commanders kind of during that time still give their soldiers some, you know, a slug of whiskeys to help them kind of cope with, you know, like I said earlier, is to deal with the, the war. Um, and they would try to find whatever way they could possibly do it, uh, whether it was to bringing the, uh, you know, basically they were bringing the video or Sorry, they were trying to find ways to get whiskey wherever they could. So whether they had their families getting it to them, sneaking it past the guards, or they would visit local grog shops, or they, um, you know, in one case back in 1864 during Christmas, an entire regiment drank bad whiskey all by themselves, about 15 gallons worth. Um, and but yeah, and on the other side, the Confederacy, they had a hard time. They didn't have rations of whiskey or anything. They were trying not to waste the valuable grains that they had for whiskey. I mean, they were basically using that for food just to survive, just to get the necessities. And the Confederacy actually instilled prohibition on a state by state basis. Uh, and some states, you know, were very complicit with it. Other states weren't so complicit with it. Um and you actually had instances where there was like a colonel from Georgia who was making his own whiskey, prohibition be damned, and trying to help his troops, you know, get through this battle to help encourage them. They were, and the South was basically purchasing up as much whiskey as they could so they could use it for medicine, to use it for Navy rations, or just to help the soldier get a medicinal boost to get through the day. And yeah, I mean, so, yeah, this is pretty well documented. There's actually a paper that came out in 1993 from uh, Merville, who was an MD in Louisville, and he talked about how whiskey was used as medicinal purposes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, whiskey definitely played a major role in it. And, I mean, one thing that you could definitely say the Civil War did was it, I mean, it really kind of whittled down the number of distilleries and distillers. Uh, during that time, which, of course, you know, kind of played into the hands of the temperance. And, I mean, even though Abraham Lincoln at one time was said to say that, you know, when he was told that Ulysses S. Grant, or Grant was getting drunk and was a drunker and was just not a good general, uh, but yet he was winning wars, and he's like, be damned, that's not true. Like, find me out what kind of whiskey he um likes and i'll send him more because it seems to be working he seems to be winning the war and so and then also abraham lincoln kind of liked it himself a little bit i mean more on the rise side there's actually a story of him liking a brand called old overholt and that was considered one of his favorite brands of whiskey and maybe even uh general usd's s grants as well but basically he, the war had a major effect and whiskey also played a major role in the war effort like it has for the rest of our country. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I hope you guys enjoyed our lovely history lesson. I love doing these. I love talking about how um, whiskey has played a role in our history and the development of our country. 
And yeah, if you guys like these, um, and one trivia question, if you could tell me, hey, what was Ulysses S. Grant's favorite whiskey? If you can find that and write it down in the comments. Uh, definitely love to read comments from you guys and let me know. And if there's any other topics you guys want me to talk about, definitely put them down in the comments. And as always, guys, hope you subscribe if you like the content. And as Uskabehe to life and cheers. And I want to also thank my sponsors, Higher Order Smokers and Loaded Cannon Distillery. I'll definitely be putting their information at the uh, description of the video. And definitely go check them out, guys. Highly recommend them. So hope you have a great day and cheers.